But if anyone is considering entering the Navy, I, I would like to remind them right now, it's unlike anything you've ever done before in your life. Hello, guys. Hello, friends. This new episode of Chems Makes Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Alex Benjamin Young. So today, we are going to break this podcast into three main sections. The first one is the Navy training that Alex had. The second one is space passion. How did you start caring about space and astronomy? And the third one is some good debate about the Starlink project. Are you good with that, Alex? Sounds great to me. All right, nice. So, Alex, uh, we will start with the quarantine, with the COVID-19. So, how are your days going? <laughs> uh, uh, well, like we were talking about earlier, you know, it's wild just because, you know, I, I got my car, I can go pretty much anywhere, but, you know, there's nothing fun to do, so what's even the point? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you do usually at home, like from 8 in the morning till till the night? What do uh, you do? At, well... Since I got my uh, YouTube show now, you know, it's basically uh, kind of a, a schedule of either doing some research on uh, fighter aircraft or putting together missions and recording them with my team, which is always kind mm -hmm. of fun. You know, it's it's I'm getting paid to record video games, so that's always a plus side. Mm, that but, is cool. uh, yeah. Well, and, uh, uh, yeah, go. No, I'm sorry. I, I was interrupting. No, no problem. I just want to make a uh, a small introduction for you. So, so you are an ex uh, Navy trainee. You are a space enthusiast. You like aeronautics, and you are an aviation uh, lover. Lover, like you just like aviation, right? It's absolutely correct. Uh, mm -hmm. I I've been known to annoy a few people with how much I love aviation. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you just tell us how did this passion started? Uh. For me, I, I would say my family always used to take a lot of vacations uh, down to Florida and stuff. And from Missouri, you know, we always used to fly back and forth. And always the most fun part of those trips for me was uh, flying in either the passenger planes like the 737 or the ND-80 or just walking through the airport. That was always a ton of fun for me. And then later as I grew older and a little bit more practical, you know, I started to learn more about fighter jets and stuff. And uh, I started... It, Really, the pinnacle for me was uh, attending space camp, which I'm sure you remember. Mm -hmm. uh, at that point, it's like, you know, I found my calling in life. This is what I'm good at. This is what I love. So this is what I'm going to pursue. Mm -hmm. So nice. that, that for me was really the big thing. So so we started with commercial flights, right? And then it moved to the to the fight aircrafts. And... It did, yes. In fact, mm -hmm. I would imagine uh, most people in America today if they've flown on an airplane, because, you know, obviously it's still pretty expensive, mm -hmm. that's, that will have the ability to instill in them a passion for aviation. I, I figure that's where a lot of people first got it, especially at air shows and stuff. Air shows are really big nowadays for that. All right. Nice. So to pursue your dream and go for, for aviation, you have joined the Navy. So how was this decision for you? Like, how did it come from? Well, um, <laughs> so for <laughs> me, it, 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 was, it, it was part of a very stupid decision on my part because I had watched Top Gun the night before. And then the next day, the Navy recruiter was at my school. So I, you know, didn't mm -hmm. even think twice about it. Just went over, started talking to him. About a year later, I, uh, I shipped out to Great Lakes and uh, started my training, which... 
boy, that was a wild time. Let me tell you. Um, like I, I can imagine the training. Like it was, it was certainly super tough. Yeah, it. Everyone will talk about how you know the Marines are longer or the Coast Guard's got more stuff in it. Really, it's different for the individual person. Depending on how you go into it, is going to determine how tough it is for you. And you, I they get uh, the way we kind of discount other people's experiences because they didn't go through a certain type of boot camp is frankly kind of stupid because it's different levels of difficulty for everyone. Like in my case, mm -hmm. I did great in the academic portions, but I struggled with the more physical aspects. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's really different for everyone. Um, True. But if anyone is considering mm -hmm. entering the Navy, I, I would like to remind them right now, it's unlike anything you've ever done before in your life. I can promise you that much. Or imagined or watched <laughs> yeah. or even watched on Hollywood. <laughs> so <laughs> then we should set things right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, how was your, your parents' reaction to that? Like, did they, did they go for, okay, go for it. That's your dream. Go for it. Or they, they, I mean, they went oppositely or... My parents uh, were very surprised when they heard that I was joining the Navy because at first I I never really showed any interest in it. I didn't like grow up like I'm gonna join the Navy when I when I get older. It was <laughs> it was more along the lines of uh, Hey, mom, dad, I'm talking to a recruiter right now. Uh, he's gonna be home in a, a few days to have you guys sign some papers. And they kind of had the Oh yeah, right, sure, that's how. Very sarcastic about it. Um, and then I showed up with the recruiter and they didn't really know what to think. <laughs> All right. But my, uh, my parents were very supportive through the process. In fact, I, I would argue I couldn't really do it without them. So, yeah. I mean, later they should accept it. That's just a dream, yeah. you know? My parents right. have always been very supportive of my dreams uh, from space camp to aviation, cool. you know, whatever I've wanted to go for, they've always been very supportive mm -hmm. in uh, helping me through that. So. so was this election process a bit difficult? I mean, the rate of acceptance, I would say, with the Navy? Yes. Selection through the Navy is its very difficult to get through. Uh, washout rate through boot camp. We started with a division of about 90 people, and we ended with about 38. Mm -hmm. So definitely very – a lot of people just give up. Some people just can't physically make it. Um, or emotionally? Yeah, because that's the reality of the situation. You know, they think it's going to be one thing and then they get to boot camp and it's something entirely different. But that's what makes graduation all the more special because you get there, that's your final day and you're in your dress whites and it's such, mm -hmm. a, you know, you feel proud of what you've accomplished. True, um, true. Yeah. It's definitely mm -hmm. worth all the, the pain and the struggle. Uh, but the selection doesn't stop there, obviously, because then you got to go through A school. Uh, and mm -hmm. for my rate in particular, fire controlman was uniquely difficult because at the time I was going through, we had a, an over 50% washout rate through ATT. So I, I used to joke, it's harder to become a fire controlman than a Coast Guard rescue swimmer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got to be prepared for all of that. Really just roll with the punches, no matter how hard it gets, just keep going. True. So can you just explain what are the Navy SEALs or the Navy SEAL? The Navy sure SEALs. Those are 
basically the special forces of the Navy. There's actually a few. You got EOD, you got uh, SWIC, you got a few different branches. But the Navy SEALs, basically, they're a special operations team that goes mm -hmm. in and uh, performs missions that people would determine are uh, too unusual for the Army or the Marines or something like that. They're basically this specialized team that goes in mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, okay, does so missions. Like they certainly have a different training or for for i was for... fortunate enough to be on the same base that they did uh part of their training their their uh, pre-buds training and mm -hmm. you know it's wild to watch you you'll walk by in the morning you'll see him doing jumping jacks and run the track and climbing mm -hmm. up rope it's very rigorous selection uh even in boot camp they're separated from the rest of the divisions so you know if you join the Navy and you think you're going to be a SEAL, you better be super ready for what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I can imagine. All right. So did you go on any cruise ships? I mean, overseas? How far did I, you go? Home? I never actually uh, had the opportunity to be deployed. Basically, mm -hmm. about two years in, I still hadn't had orders to, um, to basically leave the base. So... You know, I was talking with the captain at one point and he said, listen, man, this isn't your real passion. You're you're here for a fire controlman job <laughs> when we've talked multiple times. And I know darn well you want to be an aviator. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. basically uh, we came to the decision that I, I would be better off in the civilian role. So th that's where I am now. And uh, I'm true, true. Working on going into a flight school and all that. Cool. Like the guys, I guess Nicholas uh, and uh, and Austin. Yeah, yeah, they are in the Riddle, I guess, Texas. Yes, uh, Embry Riddle. It, that was one of the ones I was considering, but the program. I'm I'm not really in it for an engineering job. I'm more going for yeah. a, a flight position. You know. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 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 All right. So it's true. Do you had two years uh, with the Navy? So. What did you learn mainly? Discipline, self-discipline. Like uh, you, you certainly got a lot of skills from there. Uh, discipline. Yeah. yeah, discipline is definitely a large part of it. I would say the most valuable thing I learned is how to take care of your people, because there are definitely points where you're in a leadership position. And something I learned very early in is it doesn't matter how high up the people are. There's a point where you got to put your foot down and take care of your guys. And that's, you know, that's always been the more important factor for me. Mm -hmm. um, I've had people come in after like long days of work and still have family troubles they got to deal with. And, you know, I, I always personally felt that was a little bit more important than dealing with the, uh, you know, we got to get this cleaned in two days for an inspection. It's yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The mission is absolutely important, but the people, mm -hmm absolutely in my mind always have to come first true and i'm very glad i kept that mentality the whole way through yeah true so right now you do care more i guess about your family like you've you've tried being uh, away from them for a long period so uh, yeah it's hard um mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry i think i interrupted you was there a second no, 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 no. like i just wanted to know if the the relationship between you and your family changes after I mean, during the Navy and after you come home or before before the Navy and after the Navy. I mean, 
I think yeah. there would be some change in the relationship. I mean, it's closer, I would say. It's more valuable. Like you put more value into your uh, your, fa your family gatherings, I would say. I don't Anyone know. who's uh, ever been on deployment will tell you being away from your family for that long is just mind-blowingly hard. Um, and I would say my, my parents did a really great job at kind of adapting to it because they, you know, at some point they realized my job is my job and I'm not going to be able to talk to them all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so they were really great at adapting to that. Obviously on my end, you know, <laughs> you, you're living with three other guys or six other guys or how many other people uh, you had never met until like a month before. It, it, you find a way to try and work with them, but you're also always kind of thinking about home at the same time. True. true. Yeah. But for a good purpose, I mean, to serve the country, to serve the homeland anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone's in it for different reasons. Some people are in for the money. Some people are in for the college. You know, mm -hmm. the people who really care about the job, though, um, you know, it become, there's a saying there, it's ship, shipmate self. You know, you're there first and foremost to save the ship. Then you're taking care of your people and then you take care of yourself. You know, so it's always, you're putting those two things first. Mm -hmm. The ship of the people and then you. That's good. Right. Although I kind of broke that mold, like we were talking about. I always felt that the shipmate was supposed to go there first. But mm -hmm. Anyway, so we can a bit move slightly to your space passion. So you talked about your aviation passion. Now, did the space passion started with the Space Camp 2016 or before that? or I would say it started a little bit before that. Um, basically... You know, w with my life and my uh, my passion for aviation, it's always been about going higher and faster. So, you know, logically, you're like, oh, man, I want to go faster than the other guy. I want to go higher up. I want to break that record. I want to push that envelope. And eventually, you end up in space. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, true. I mean... I like I was I was I was wondering why your ambitions did not stop only for a commercial flights pilot like they went higher for astronaut or an astronaut and that, that's what I Yeah a, a large part of that is um you remember um Wendy Lawrence uh our astronaut mentor for that week part of Yeah I do remember it was good Yep part of her speech really kind of spoke to me which is like you know if you believe that you can accomplish something, absolutely, you you need to try and basically reach as far as you can towards that goal. True. Um, because even if things don't don't work out the way I want them to, I've still had incredible experiences. I've definitely um, done stuff I never thought I was going to do years prior. So at this point, just trying as hard as I can to reach that goal seems more important than thinking about what's the more practical option right now. Mm -hmm. I, well, for my part, I do remember when she said, if I did it, then you can do it. I mean, it's, it's something yeah. possible, totally possible. Like we should not think it, think of it as, as of something, I mean, uh, really far to, to reach or something impossible or from the movies. It is just a, a path that someone should follow and you can definitely reach that goal. Yeah. So what did you learn the most from Space Camp 2016? 
maybe t teamwork, how how uh, how a space shuttle works, how a space mission works, or you just knew that before joining in space camp. You know the things about the space shuttles and everything. Yeah, I kind of learned some stuff about that too. But really, the most valuable thing was, like you said, teamwork and mm -hmm. uh, and leadership. Just because I had never really had those experiences prior, so. To have you guys in that kind of – first off, Team Elysium was the best team I could have ever hoped to ask for. All right. Shout out to all the Team Elysium listening to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> guys are awesome. Yeah. I guess Samaya Banani is – she listens to my podcast, so she would definitely like it. Special shout out to Samoya, best pilot I ever had in a space shuttle. Yeah. Shout out to Samoya. I, I we had we had Sofian also Sofian from Algeria. Yeah, Sofian was also. In. I actually, I have a part of the old uh, space shuttle simulator sitting with me right here, uh, laser grave, and I love it. It's a that beautiful is. reminder of the times we went through. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, but you know. To, to basically learn, and again, that's part of where the whole the people come first mentality came from. Because absolutely, you know, uh, the mission being what it is, I'm struggling sure. to phrase this, but you know, <laughs> it, <laughs> no problem if, if you have a good enough team, you can accomplish anything, but Space Camp really taught me how to kind of focus a team and kind of mm -hmm. delegate roles and positions and like, hey, this guy's good at doing this, this guy's good at doing this, let's work together and try and get this done and kind of rally a team towards a certain certain goal. It was very mm -hmm. valuable in uh, giving, the, giving me those experiences and those abilities. True. But it was definitely fun. I mean, like having all those oh, yeah. simulations, that shuttle effect that we had the last day. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Do you remember the Moroccan sky base? The Moroccan's what? The Moroccan sky base. There was a glitch in the shuttle simulator where we basically landed at 70,000 feet up in the air. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. There is also the gravity game. Do you, do you remember that room? Yeah. That, that spins and then you feel more gravity. That was that was fun. I mean, I just found the video from that like a few days ago. I found the SD card and it was so fun to watch. That is so fun. I swear to God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, I also found the uh, the centrifuge video of me and Austin. Mm -hmm. That one was wild. And the one you handle with your arms and the you, you spin, right? No, not yeah, with your arms. I guess you sit. You sit on a chair attached and then you... Yeah, the, the one that went in a circle really, really fast. Uh, yeah. Our, there's another simulation, I guess, we had the last day or before the last day. It yeah, is the, the multi-axis trainer, I guess, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I remember. It, was the mul uh, it wasn't the multi-axis trainer. It was the one we did during the, uh, the flight training where we learned how to fly the planes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, were you pilot tracker or a mission specialist? Uh, I was I was a mission specialist. That's why only the pilot track people. Yeah, were there. yeah. 
was a mission specialist, and I had, I guess, in the final mission, I was the CMO, the chief medical officer. Yeah, I remember. Best CMO ever, by the way. <laughs> Not really. I mean, it's a lot of mistakes. <laughs> like, I had some medicine, medicine-like passions at the time, but now I'm more of a computer scientist. Like, yeah. I do computer science than medicine. Anyway. It's so... okay to make mistakes. What's important is to learn from them. True, true. But we had some cool mentors, too. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, uh, Clay was awesome. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Hush? Yeah, you you do remember the names. Like I don't remember all that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard but, to forget. It was too memorable for me. Yeah, true. I mean, I have, I still have. You know, the picture is right in front of me. The picture of the team in front of the shuttle. Yeah, I got that one over here too. Oh, uh, that is nice. That is a cool picture. Yep. With too old. many memories. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. So we talked about space camp, how to became, how, how to become. So for you, what is what you what is your? I don't know how, how to formulate this, but uh, the way to become an astronaut. Should we so, go for for the military? Should we go for uh, civilian uh, aviation? What uh, I mean, what are the chances that we have in both uh, in both ways? In both, well, uh, both are highly valid options. Uh, I remember. Even before I had joined the military, I used to talk to a guy at my old workplace who was an old Navy officer. Uh, and he used to say, you know, a lot of those pilots, uh, they went up the ranks high enough and then they went off to NASA to become astronauts. So absolutely, if you join the military uh, in an aviator position, you are, you're going to have the opportunity to follow that career all the way up to NASA. However, on that note, it's also extremely possible to do it as a civilian. In fact, I would remind people that Neil Armstrong was a civilian when he joined NASA. True. Um, although he, he also had Navy experience prior, but he was a civilian when he joined NASA, and that's the important part. Mm -hmm. NASA today have... is... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You, you continue. Oh. NASA today hires more civilian scientists than ever before they hire people like zoologists to study stuff in space mm -hmm. um you know it's really you just need to kind of figure out what you want to do what makes you what you think is going to make you the most useful and then you know what i'm actually gonna i'm gonna reciprocate some of uh captain lawrence's advice because she said Basically, look at astronauts who had come before you, mm -hmm. uh, see what they did, and then follow their footsteps. True. Mm -hmm. and that That's really going to be the best thing you can do there. You can find an astronaut who's very similar to yourself yeah. and then kind of follow their path. Or you can yeah. create your own path. You know, there's really whatever you want to do. I mean, True. not whatever you want to do you can't rob a bank and then that's not going to get you at nasa yeah true but do you think like nowadays astronauts uh need to go more for aviation or or science like i've heard that lately they need more scientists as you said like they're hiring more scientists but do they need scientists with aviation uh, experience or just science and then you will have your five years of training and you will learn how to fly a, a rocket well, my argument is that they don't have the scientists fly the space shuttle. But 
that what's true now isn't going to be true in 50 years. So absolutely, I would have aviation experience. Um, just because that makes you, you know, the more skills you have, the more attractive you are to NASA. Mm -hmm. But it, I wouldn't say that's the most necessary part of the world, you know. Yeah, so so if you can do both, like aviation and science, you should probably you should certainly do them and then go apply to yeah. join. Yeah. Uh, Chris Hadfield used to say he he took whatever classes he could while he was at NASA because that made him a better option for the next mission. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take whatever you can. Uh, accumulate as much knowledge as you think you can accumulate. Uh, always keep trying to better yourself. And that's what's going to make you that ultimate astronaut candidate when the time comes. Mm -hmm. So, okay, good. I guess they have a debatable question. It is about the uh, space exploration in general. Like there is some people that say that maybe we should, uh, we should really rethink about the budget we are given on space exploration since yeah. we do a lot of problems that we are facing here on Earth. Like it's not about rethinking to, to raise the budget, like the opposite, to rethink to solve the problems on Earth like we see, uh, and we've seen that this year, and we're living in the COVID nineteen. Maybe they say that we probably should have uh, should have put more money on medicine, on cancer research. On what do you say about that? Well, I'm parallel. I should preface this by saying, absolutely, I think we need to fix the issues on Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, and no matter what we do in space, we can't ignore the planet that we're currently on. However, I also believe that by going to space, we learn so many new technologies and so many things that can help us on Earth. It, it's almost stupid to not try it. Also, you got the argument for Mars colonization, which is there are any number of extinction level events that can wipe out all humans on Earth. Mm-hmm. But once humans are on two planets, the the possibilities of extinction on both planets are pretty much zero. Mm -hmm. So, really, to I would say to save the uh, future of humanity, you know, we have to explore. We have to go to space. True. So if we just think and stick and stop the space exploration, so I, I think Stephen Hawking said that once. He said like from now to one hundred years. If you don't find another planet where we can put humans, we may risk our extermination. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I, I remember in Cosmos, Neil deGrasse Tyson had said, we're already overdue for an extinction level event. <laughs> so, you know, that clock is ticking. Yeah, humans are going to be around forever. True. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not going to be our, our futures that we're jeopardizing, but it's probably going to be our children's, maybe our grandchildren's. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we don't have to be super, super ambitious to finish that in, in the coming 10, 15 years. <laughs> we should really work more and let that for our children or grandchildren. Maybe they can make something good, good out of it. So uh, we talked about space passion. We talked about aviation. Do you have anything to add about space? I mean, definitely those people who say that uh, we should we should rethink about our priorities are somehow right. 
Like we should definitely care more about. Uh, I mean, these are more of uh, maybe political decisions, like not space people decisions. <laughs> like the the specialists and experts in astronomy and space, they just have their field and they need to care about it. So politicians maybe need to to put some equilibrium uh, between these two uh, fields. I mean, medicine and uh, space exploration. Because like Bill Gates, I, I guess, in 2015, he said, if we, I mean, if we cared a bit more, we could have avoided this pandemic. I mean, we don't really know, but he has a point. Well, I can't change the past. I can only work towards the future. Mm. A part of that is I've always believed that space should not be politicized. And I think the second you do that, you risk so much. I think it's extremely important that we focus on space as a humanitarian and unifying effort, not as something that's dividing us and like, oh, we need this money to go here. We need this money to go here. True. Yeah. Think about what we would have lost if we didn't land on the moon. Also, remember, you know, modern sunglasses technology came from NASA visors. Uh, yeah, refrigerator I mean, I mean, technology came from NASA true, experiments. True. That is one of the like the most compelling arguments I use is that like plenty of inventions were 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 made by by NASA. Yeah, I mean like uh, to make research for spacecrafts, you're going to make research for for some things that are useful here on Earth, and that is really uh, useful. I mean, like, you can check on a list, you're going to find I guess more than hundreds or thousands of inventions that are uh, made and found by NASA and discovered by NASA. And so so definitely space uh, exploration is not only for space, it's also for for Earth. I mean, humans on Earth. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. They also say that, I guess, those uh, fire alarms, they they were once used for spacecrafts, and then they said, oh, I wish you'd use fire, uh, fire alarms in on, on Earth, too. <laughs> I mean, I those, mean, just uh, think of how many lives that saved. Yeah. Like just a fire alarm, so because they yeah. had a lot of fires in spacecrafts, and anything. So uh, I also heard, or I read an article not long ago about the next uh, American spacecraft that will replace the Russian spacecraft. The actual uh, ah yes, the uh, yeah. the SpaceX Dragon. X Dragon. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's the first uh, spacecraft that will take humans to to space. I mean, the American one after the shuttle. Yes, um, it's going to be the first space launched. Ah, I can't talk today. <laughs> it's going to be the uh, the first American-built uh, vehicle to launch astronauts from U.S. soil since 2011, when the uh, the final space shuttle retired. Yeah. So it that is a I guess it's it's a huge glory for for the American space program. It's definitely a part of national pride, but it's mm -hmm. also kind of a cost-effective thing because it's very expensive. To go with the um, Russians. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So to, to have our own vehicle that we can build in-house, you know, it's better for us financially. I guess from a financial standpoint, but I don't see that as a fantastically good reason because, mm -hmm. you know, if you'll remember from Space Camp, it's important that regardless of nationality, we have to work as a team. True. Yeah, I do agree. Like, like, even if you go from an American soil or, or Russian soil, you're yeah. going to to join the ISS, and it is international. So, <laughs> so that is definitely true. That's 
that's the most important part of all of it. We're still working as a team. It's just how we choose to do it is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I guess China too is trying to make uh, its own space station. I think. Yes, the Taiyang Gong, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, they've taken kind of the Skylab approach, where they built a. Uh, I guess it's more solute than Skylab. But mm-hmm. they launched their uh, a single use, well not single use, but you know, non modular space station, and they're getting yeah. ready to build a modular type one, which is mm-hmm. very, you know, it's definitely interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I'd be following that to see where it goes. I guess Indians too are making some good advancement there. I mean, they oh have yeah, their, their rockets, they launch plenty of satellites. They're doing good, definitely. Yeah, I believe they uh, launched the moon rover not too far back ago. Mm-hmm. It's definitely interesting to see. Uh, it used to be just the U.S. versus the Soviet Union in the Great Space Race. Um, now you you got all these different countries starting to starting mm-hmm. to build their own futures, which is absolutely a, a a great thing. Just because you know, like space is supposed to be a unifying effort. It's great to see different countries start to to jump into that as well. And I also believe the competition aspect is going to be important too, because if India says, hey, we're ready to launch a rocket to Mars tomorrow with people on it, you better believe that the U.S. is going to try and one-up them, and that's going to lead to better technology, better advances. And I, I'm, I'm very excited for what the future is going to look like in that area. Uh, so hopefully we first see. we can get through the COVID-19 crisis and then and we will see. I mean, the space programs ain't stopping because they really don't care about the pandemic. Uh, so well, I they absolutely that... care about the pandemic. It's just, and by I mean, the way, part I of mean, that... They, they technically, they don't directly get affected because I've read an article like even before uh, even before the pandemic, astronauts used to, used to be quarantined like before and after the space missions. So that's just a general procedure uh, to stop any kind of bacteria or viruses. Yeah. It's, so, it's, ex- yeah, I go. To say that, that NASA doesn't care about the COVID 19 pandemic, uh, I think is a, a little inaccurate. They absolutely care about it. In <laughs> fact, I imagine some of their ventilator and respirator technology went to the mm-hmm. uh, medical field beforehand. But, True. you know, space being what it is, we can't stop just because of something like this. And we're absolutely going to get through it. Like, COVID-19 is not what's going to cause the end of the world. So to ignore what NASA's doing because of the virus, it, it seems a little paranoid to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, no. What, what I meant, maybe I misformulated uh, the thing, but I meant like the space missions, they they go, I mean, even though there is a pandemic, I mean, the space missions ain't stopping. And the Starlink one, uh, it is not, it's not oh. uh, taking people. So the Starlink, uh, the Starlink, we will talk about that uh, like in a couple of seconds. The Starlink mission was launched in April 22nd, the last one. Last uh, trip was launched in April 22nd, and I guess even the first tests of the American 
Kame spacecraft will be soon launched. So I'm saying, like, instead of saying they don't care, I would say they are not affected by the pandemic. That is the most secure thing, I think. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yes, robotic no, missions absolutely like, are not I affected. Mistake. I, mis I misformulated the question or let's <laughs> say the assumption, and then you you just corrected it. I mean, thank you for that. No problem. Yeah, uh, uh, robotic missions absolutely can continue unaffected. The most important part is, again, like making sure that their supply chain is fine. I believe uh, Northrop Grumman's building the, the James Webb telescope as we speak. Mm -hmm. uh, things still going according to his plan on that one. Um, yeah, I mean. So I think, yeah, go. No, I really didn't have anything to add. I was just spitballing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think you talked about James Webb, and they, I think that that would be really, really effective since some people say that the Starlink project will affect the the Earth's surface observations and observatories. So before going into there, I would like to start with some description of the Starlink project because maybe some listeners to this podcast don't really know what is the Starlink, and I would like to share some description so so the Starlink, according to Wikipedia, is a satellite constellation being constructed by SpaceX to provide satellite internet access. The constellation will consist of thousands of mass-produced small satellites in low Earth orbit, or LEO, working in combination with ground transceivers or receptors. SpaceX also plans to sell some of the satellites uh, for military, scientific, or exploration purposes. So, so this is a quite good, um, a sufficient, I guess, definition or description of the program. What do you think, yes. Alex? Well, the description is uh, is spot on. It's definitely a large constellation of mass-produced satellites, uh, starting in low Earth orbit and slowly rising through very complicated orbital mechanics that even I don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. Um. But it's it's very interesting. Um, first off, it's actually possible to see these satellites uh, from the ground today. A few nights ago, actually, I had a wonderful opportunity of uh, of watching, I believe, five <laughs> and six pass over, uh, pass overhead. That is nice. Which is, yeah, it's crazy to watch because you just see this train of satellites moving by. <laughs> yeah so i guess you see just you see that just uh, right after the sunset or before the sunrise because they reflect the sunlight right so in the middle of the night i don't think it's possible to see them uh actually you, you can't see them well i mean i mean it, it, it's when it's uh when you, we dive in the night like the sun will be in the other side of the of the globe so we cannot see the reflection of light because because those satellites they do not emit uh, light they just uh, reflect the light the sunlight just like any other spacecraft or space station true but because of how light travels around the earth and also uh, how their uh, orbital yeah. plane actually works they are visible uh in in the black of night it's actually better in the black of night because you have less ambient uh, background light. Mm -hmm. But what's super cool to see is, you know, they're they're super bright, and you can they look like they're close, like 
they're going to crush each other. <laughs> no, that, crush, that's actually, crush each other. They kind of look like stars, but you can tell that they're closer mm-hmm. than something like Venus, and they're moving really fast across the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also only visible for, I think, about six minutes at a time. So if you mm-hmm. want to see it, you, you got to time it right. True. It's definitely a cool uh yeah definitely a cool sight definitely fun to watch all right so we all right so do you think that this free internet project is going to be successful before before we talk about the criticism of the project we would like to to talk about the project itself like the ambitions of this project it is mainly for exploration purposes and they said that they might give some satellites uh to military for some studies maybe and do you think like the main purpose which is to to give free internet or accessible internet for everybody is possible to do well at this point i think it would be a little stupid to bet against elon musk because he's made good on a lot of promises so far it's mm-hmm. definitely gonna be interesting to see i don't understand all the mechanics of it myself but it's um i mean i mean he says uh, i'm sorry to interrupt but he says that uh or the spacex they state that they're going to use transceivers or transceivers yeah or or receptors on earth do you think that the people will accept to put uh receptors with those satellites on their lands to have internet well if you just look at satellite tv plenty of people have already been fine to do that so far so absolutely, I think they'll do it for the, the promise of cheaper or more effective internet. Exactly. Like, would it uh, will it be more effective than the ground internet? It's I mean, hard. I mean, well, the ground internet is getting to the five G. Would it be more effective than that? I don't know if it'll be more effective. I think it'll definitely be better in areas like Africa where it's difficult to get that internet. Um, yeah, exactly. That is what I want to come. So just finish and I'll ask you a question. Um, actually, just go ahead with the question. I'm not really sure. <laughs> <I> was... <laughs> now, you, you, was, uh, you, were, you were saying that it is made for, I mean, areas that are not covered with ground internet or the ground internet is not uh, really effective. So I really think that... Uh, for I mean, he he said I guess he's going to start a better service in North America. I think like the ground internet is 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 doing good right now for North America. It would be just more of a of a new thing, a new discovery. But later it's not going to be maybe used. That depends. I mean, I'm not really sure, but that depends on the speed, on the connectivity, on the a uh, lot of things. But we talked about uh, about areas like Africa, maybe Eastern Asia or like uh, Central Asia where people don't have good internet. So do you think that those uh, countries or governments, maybe some governments or dictatorships, do you think they, they will accept to put receptors on their land? I mean, it's not the same thing as TV. I mean, TV, it's just uh, broadcast programs is different than knowing all what you're connected to and having all information. I mean, I'm with that. I would like to, to put a receptor over my house and have some really good internet. But for some people, they... They they say they they can say that maybe Americans are just uh, spying on us. 
like they usually do. Maybe Russians would say that. <laughs> well, first off, if the Americans wanted to spy on you, we have a billion ways to do it in the internet. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah. I mean, that can be a problem. I, I, I'm not with that. I'm not stating that. I'm not saying that they are true or they are oh, correct. I'm not with it either. Rest assured. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think in areas where freedom of information is already restricted by place like uh, – by dictatorships and such in the authoritarianism regimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be difficult to install it in there because that, you know, they're going to try and lock down something that they can't already control. It might still happen with a lot of restrictions, but really until we basically free information, mm-hmm. I just don't see that happening as well as they think. I, I also want to add, I think it might still be revolutionary for North America, too, because a lot of people don't understand in America, we have not the best uh, internet speeds in the world. We're actually slower than <laughs> South Korea. And the reason why is because South Korea has high-speed lines because competition through uh, basically... Yeah, competition through companies, maybe they have a lot of companies, and the best company to serve is held, is held in the market, so... That's really what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, in America, what happened was we were pretty much the government couldn't put in municipal lines due to some pretty shady lobbying, lobbying. and uh, all the uh, a lot of the major companies had consolidated to the point where they didn't really want to improve the lines either. So instead of gaining faster and faster internet through competition, they all just kind of sat around and. Let it stay as is. So you got Elon Musk coming in here and he's saying, hey, we can do this faster and we can do it like this. That might actually force them to upgrade, which will be very interesting to watch. It'll be uh, – because either one of two things could happen. One, the companies are going to lobby and say this is unfair, which it's not. Or two, they're going to have to compete and upgrade. So I don't know. It's interesting to see how capitalism works in this kind of – scenario mm-hmm. i mean it works it, it surely works but sometimes it pushes some crazy projects like we don't we say we say crazy now because we don't know the final result what what it would what it would look like well hindsight's so, always twenty twenty, but you know like i said we gotta be optimistic towards the future somehow yeah yeah true but sometimes they say like should we uh i don't know should we kill a fly with a kalashnikov the clashing, like sometimes they say, maybe they should have invested in 5G. Uh, SpaceX would have done a really good thing if you, I mean, not SpaceX, SpaceX is about space exploration. Or one of the the, spa, the Elon Musk companies, maybe uh, could have invested in 5G. That would be better and more like uh, closer. Well, I mean, they could have invested in 5G, but also there are people out here trying to burn down 5G cell towers because someone <laughs> said that, yeah, someone said that they caused coronavirus and all of a sudden, <laughs> I don't so know how there. people fall for that, but they did. Okay, so like those uh, those 5G antennas are generating COVID-19. Is that yeah, what they think? you explain that one to me. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> they have cells just under their their uh, I don't know their antennas. Anyway, so we come to the scientific criticism of the the Starlink. I mean, astronomers and space lovers they say that uh, I mean, first 
the number i guess the number the number of the starlink satellites is going to get to 12k satellites uh, uh that are planned to be deployed and with the possible later ex extension to 42k satellites like 42,000 satellites yeah so i think that that is kind of too much you're going to you're going to disturb this space observation what do you think of that i, I mean, definitely think I mean, I mean uh, sorry, but he, like uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX, they said that they are going for some special coding to avoid the reflection of light. But what do you think of that? Well, I think it would definitely be interesting to do that. I think you might still mess up uh, exoplanet exploration just because you have stuff moving in front of stars and such. But um, it's definitely an, an interesting idea to code it to not reflect light. But I, mm -hmm. I think the, the issue with the number of satellites is more uh, Kessler syndrome or Kepler syndrome. I forget the name. I mean, but the trash, the, the space, the space. Uh... Yeah, the space trash problem. Where basically satellites after a period of time are going to break up and cause a debris field. And that debris field is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually it's going to make it pretty much impossible to leave the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So to have that many satellites in orbit, um, pretty much just going around doing their thing, I see that as um, just a little bit of an issue. <laughs> and I see that as a, a somehow a big issue. I don't know why. I mean, 12,000 satellites. I mean, even if he's going to make them small or smaller and smaller, they're still satellites. And I know I mean, in space, if you run with a uh, with 20 thousand kilometers per hour and then you crash into something <laughs> you can imagine the result of that uh i, I mean, remember not... once a broken off paint chip from a satellite impacted the space show atlantis and put a a crack in the uh the windshield see mm -hmm. yeah I so mean, even if it is uh i don't know a a sand uh, a sand grain like uh, a sand grain size uh, trash can can cause a lot of problems because because of the high speed they travel with yeah and we absolutely can't ignore that we have to be very careful about it. but i also think that there are ways of cleaning up space trash that we just haven't analyzed yet mm -hmm. um personally i think we should just send up a big bag and collect it that way <laughs> yeah can you just hey, i'm not a rocket bag. scientist we'll <laughs> We'll see what they actually come up with. Okay. No, the the Elon Musk and I mean SpaceX in general, they're super innovative, so they certainly yeah. will figure out something. Well, well I, right. I'd like them to focus on that. Is, is basically what I'm saying. You know, clearly mm -hmm. they have the tools and the the know-how. They just gotta, you mm -hmm. know, put two and two together. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, if they face some problems, they have the Tesla car orbiting the Earth. They can just yep. use it and go around space. <laughs> there was a Tesla car launched, I guess, last year or the year before. Oh yeah, yeah, the uh, the Starman. Yeah. <laughs> All right, spaceman, as you as you are called. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we. Uh, how long did we make this podcast? I guess more than forty minutes. Oh, that's fine by me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I guess we're at about an hour and a half now. How Ah, that's too much, I guess. That's more than what I expected, you know. 
<laughs> anyway, that was cool. Like that is a good sign. That means we enjoyed the the conversation. Yeah, I I definitely did from my part. What do you think of this podcast? What do you think of of this conversation? It's definitely very interesting. I think we raised some good thought provoking questions. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And also, you know, there are podcasts out there that are like two hours, an hour and a half isn't an issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good, good. So now you have the floor. You wanted to talk about your YouTube uh, project with your friends. Oh, that. no problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you guys want to come check out on YouTube, VFA 634 simulation team. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Definitely some cursing. But uh, <laughs> we just wrapped up the, uh, the Black Gambit campaign. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Started by all Navy people and go mm -hmm. out there, do some cool stuff with fighter jets, come back. It's always a fun day. All right. So we will definitely learn learn more about the fight jets. and. Uh... Yeah, we actually we had a person who was on the USS Lincoln come on to the show and talk about her extended deployment, which was super cool. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, if you guys ever want to learn some more about Navy life, we, we have special guests on all the time. All right, nice. So, what is your 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 favorite uh, fight jet? Ooh, without <laughs> a doubt, the F fourteen B Tomcat, just because it was the greatest naval fighter interceptor ever designed. It's got the Can you say it again? The F the F fourteen. The F fourteen B Tomcat. Tomcat. All right. Yeah, it it's it's awesome. All right. <laughs> Like a real uh, engineering uh, piece of machinery. Yeah, it, it, it's the real engineering process at work. It was designed to fix a very specific problem, and it did that very well. Cool. So. All right. So, guys, um, I think we're getting to the end of this episode. We were with Alex Benjamin Young. I guess I'm pronouncing well your name. Alexander yeah, Benjamin Yeah, no, you got it right. All right, cool. Thank you from uh, you're joining us from St. Louis, right? Yes, yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. Greatest right, little so town in the world. <laughs> All right. Although so maybe I'm biased. I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. So, do you have anything to add as of the end of the episode? No, I think we're all good. Just uh, everyone subscribe to this podcast because it's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 computer science centered and also space centered because I like these are my two passions, my two main uh, occupations. Like either I care about space or computers, and I would invite you for a next conversation about computers if you do care about computers, <laughs> maybe AI. Because the last podcast was about AI, so you can you can listen to that with a friend. Yeah, I mean, just call me maybe whenever you want to have another long two-hour chat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Alex, so much. And thank you for joining us today. No problem.